0: I think we'll put something on Instagram or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Let's do thanks it. Thanks for giving me a chance to say what's up. Yes. Thanks, Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely check it out. Get involved. Uh, yeah, we did it last year. don't. Did we skateboard jet? How do we do it? I don't even remember. I, maybe I ran and jet like rode some kind of vehicle. So, um, yeah, definitely check it out. Grab a thing, support, awesome cause. I am up and close and personal with it these days, with, with particularly jet right now. And uh, Dave's, has been such a blessing and, his, and the whole, your whole family, the Appen family and uh, what they do locally with Young Life. So, thank you guys. Definitely uh, check it out. And, yeah, let's do it. Oh, uh, let's see what's going on. Oh, we celebrated an anniversary yesterday. 22 years somehow. Yeah, 22 years, um, which is crazy. Um, so thank you, Amy, for, for that. Uh, the longer we're married, the more beautiful my bride becomes. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful. And it's interesting, you know. We chat with people, and we we have you know friends and connections of all kinds, and, and certainly people who have been here uh, have been married 30 and 40 years. So lots of people have gone ahead of us, and and some are just starting out, or can't even imagine even getting started. It's like, how did you know? How did you do it? How do you? How did you do this thing? And, uh, it's hard sometimes, right? It's just hard sometimes, and particularly for people sort of outside the church or outside of a sort of faith framework. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't even know what to tell you. I'm not sure how you even go about it. It's just hard enough as it is. It's, it's harder for Amy. Like, I don't have to be married to myself. Being myself is hard enough. Like, she has to deal with me from the outside. It's, it's hard work. But we're always grounded, since the beginning, the foundation of our relationship. And, and this isn't always everybody. Sometimes you can come out of that. But the foundation for us is the reality that is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. He he is the ultimate reality in our relationship. He leads our life together, right? And that reality forms our our relationship, the way we interact, our love, our grace, our commitment, our story is informed by the reality of, of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean it's perfect and we always do that, but that is the foundation. That is the most important thing. That is the keystone, right? I know people go through life all the time without God. I don't know how you do it. I just can't even imagine. It's hard enough as it is. I'm not a strong enough person to not believe in something bigger than myself uh, in, in control, someone a little smarter than me and stronger than me. So by the grace of God, we walk humbly and, and we love mercy and we do it. And so, but, but coming back to Jesus... Who's really the beginning of, of, of all this and in the the author and perfecter, and he is life himself. Uh, we're gonna talk about Jesus today, not just about what Jesus says for us, because a lot of times we do that, that's good. Get into the text. Here's what Jesus said, here's what you should do. So we're gonna talk a little more about Jesus, who he is. Let's talk about Jesus. And we're starting a, a series about seven weeks, it's called Frameworks. So we're gonna hit some of these big central topics, foundational topics sort of key issues are people of our faith, right? So, so Jesus. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the Father Heart of God. Josh Murray is going to, going to preach next Sunday. Don't want to miss that. Oh, Holy Spirit. We're going to get into prayer and faith and, and some of these things that kind of hold our faith together, the frameworks of our faith, the framing of our faith, right? And for Jesus, because we all have some familiarity, if you're here or listening online, I bet you have some familiarity with, with Jesus, who he is or, or maybe who you think he is. And some of us get very comfortable with that. Like, well, I know Jesus. I know the story. I've, I've been to Easter service. I get it. You know, he, he, he died. He lived. He rose again. He's my Savior. Like, we, we kind of have a rhetoric for Jesus. We say, I, I get it. I know Jesus. And we get very familiar and very comfortable. And I wonder if there's more. If there's more for you. Is there more for you in your relationship with Jesus, in your understanding of Jesus? In the way you interact with Jesus. And you know when you think you know somebody? Like you think you know someone, and then they maybe you know them well, and then they say something or do something. You're like oh, that surprised me. I I didn't get that. I, I didn't see that coming. All right. around Christmas, we got a a basketball hoop in our driveway. It's actually a Thomas Hughesy's driveway. It still is there now. I need a truck to get that back. Matt Tune and I, I think I might need to borrow your truck. But yeah, a basketball hoop. We put in the driveway. It was super fun. Uh, you know, me and the boys and, and Bella, we go out and shoot and, and it can go up and down and you could dunk on it and, and and play all kinds of games. We had a ton of fun around the holidays with it. But one day, like after we first kind of got, I was out and I come home and Cash runs up to me and he's like, dad, have you seen mom play basketball? I'm like, what? No, I don't even think mom knows what basketball is. And he's like, no, no, mom plays basketball like she makes every shot. I'm like, what? Mom makes every. So we go out. I'm not kidding. We've got to shoot around and all the kids are there. And I'm like, yeah, she's like making every shot. And the kids don't even know what to do with this. Like there's this new mom, like mom plays basketball. Mom's good at basketball. And I'm kind of looking at her like, man, I'm like part attracted, definitely impressed, a little bit intimidated, like maybe all three. Like who is this person? Who is this person out here who just goes out and starts hitting jumpers? We were playing two on two and her team was winning, right? It was crazy. It was this whole new side. And I know Amy well, right? The kids know her well, but there's still more. Right, there's still more to my bride that I'm going to get to un- uncover as she grows and as God grows her. So if that is the case, right, if, if, if people we know well, even really well, keep surprising us, keep telling us stories we haven't heard, keep doing things that, that are not expected, is it possible that we can still grow into new places with Jesus. A new understanding of Jesus. Our perception of Jesus might grow, might change. Our relationship could continue to evolve with Jesus, to grow into new places, not because he's changing, because we're changing, but because we're changing. So we're gonna talk about Jesus. We're gonna frame him up a little bit today. Uh, We're not gonna get to cover all of Jesus this morning. That, that, That would take years, that is a lifetime. But my prayer is maybe something here today would give you something new to think about. In the person of Jesus, in the God that is Jesus. And we're going to do it. We're going to frame it up around uh, Matthew 21, one of the more dramatic scenes of his life outside of the cross. And this is toward the, toward the end of, uh, of the Gospels of his life. It's Passover season, so we know the city is super busy. It's swelled with people. There's people from all over the world uh, who've come to, to Jerusalem for this time. And when we get to this part, we're probably two or three weeks out from the cross. Maybe two, yeah, two to three weeks. So Jesus is getting there. He's got some work to do still. He's still teaching and being with people. But he's on that road. Right? This is after the triumphal entry. He's on his way. And he's just spent his entire life like turning everything upside down. The last shall be first. The weak are strong. The poor are blessed. The king is the servant. So Jesus just did this. And then he rides in on a donkey. And He enters Jerusalem and it's busy. Jesus is busy. People are busy. It's go time. We got this festival. We've got these meals to have. We've got all these traditions to to take care of. And if religion was a seasonal business, this was that season. This was that season. And so Jesus walks into the temple during this season. This is like the mall at Christmas. It's just people are coming in from everywhere. People are frantic. And he goes into this temple where they're just trying to turn people over. Because so they got to come in, they gotta do their sacrifice, they gotta get them out. He enters the temple courts. This is Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple courts, right? This is the this is the place of worship, if you can imagine. We don't really have these places anymore, but this was a central place of worship. There are priests and there are walls, and there are artifacts, and it was the holy of holies. He entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer. But you are making a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. The blind and lame came to, him, came to them at the temple and he healed them. This is account in John 2. Likely a separate incident earlier on in his ministry. Goes like this: In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. This is high, high drama. High drama coming into a place of of, of religiosity and what they would know as worship, of sacrifice. And Jesus is just freaking out. He is just absolutely freaking out, and it's likely he did this at least twice. He's just freaking out. And this temple, how Jesus approaches the temple, the house of God, this is the sole pathway, not not just to God, but to forgiveness. This is how you attain forgiveness at this temple. And access was really only granted to one particular race. Only the Jews were there. This is mostly men, so gender we weren't children. There's an age, class system. You had to have some money and have come from a certain place to be able to get there. And they're selling all these sacrifices, which you needed for forgiveness, which you need to be in with God. So they sort of have you here. You have to come to us to buy the thing so we can burn the thing. And then you can be in with God. And these animals, the, the, from, the, from the smaller to the larger, they're all sold for markup, for a profit. Right, this is a hardship for those on the lower economic scale. Or those that Jesus often spent time with. The, those who were suffering affliction or blindness or lameness, they weren't there. They were already considered shunned or punished by God, so, so they weren't coming in. We've looked at tax collectors. They're not coming because they were banned from the temple. Sinners and prostitutes and the like. So these types of people that Jesus spent a lot of time with and a lot of time affirming couldn't even come into that place. They couldn't come into that place whether they were socially outcast, or they couldn't afford it. And they couldn't get right with God. Now, if you had some money, you couldn't just use any money. You couldn't use any coin at this temple. It had to be a special certain coin. Because the Roman currency that was going around had pictures of Caesar on it. And the temple, like, we're not having that in here. We are not exchanging it for coins with Caesar. That's not going to happen. So you have these, these other coins that they dug up through, through, through history from Tyre. They actually had another deity on them, but well, it's better than Caesar. So you had to use these coins, these Tyrian coins. And so Jews were coming from all over the civilized world. They didn't have these coins. So what they would have to do when they'd get there, they'd have to change out their coins for these coins. All right, so that's the money changers, literally tablers. You'd have to go and like, oh, I have this money. What's the exchange? And the exchange wasn't very good. You were always losing out on that exchange because the tablers, the money changers, were profiting. They were profiting on that exchange. So you could not buy your sacrifice to get yourself right with God unless you had the right coins. And to get the right coins, it was going to cost you. And then you had to buy the thing. By, by the time of Christ, this is, this is full extortion. There's large profits being made and reaped at the expense of visiting worshipers. Right? And so this practice, along with the selling the animals, this just enraged Jesus. He called the den of thieves, of den of robbers. And Jesus if we talk about him as he approaches this, and we'll wrap back to the temple, Jesus is fully, fully human and he's fully God. Right? This is sort of a big theological concept. Fully man and fully God. God and man. One person forever. J.I. Packer says this. He's a great writer, a theologian. Here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God. So the Trinity is this sort of this mind-blowing idea. But then the union of the Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth from the Incarnation. This Incarnation that God had become man. God with us. Oh yeah, I know that's the Christmas story. God with us. right? But this Incarnation is huge and is so important. And the early church locked it in. Creed of, uh, Ch- Chalcedonian Creed in 451. This group got together and said, we need to make sure this is not missed. People need to know this. And they came up with this creed. It's really the standard of our orthodox definition of the biblical teaching of Jesus. It goes like this. Jesus has two natures. He's God and man. Each nature is full and complete. He's fully God and fully man. Each nature remains distinct. Christ is only one person Things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. This is important for us. He is God and man. He's human. Not in the sense of, well, so I'm, all, I'm human. Like, oh, we're only human. No, he's, he's human in the sense of God's design. And so when he sees the temple. He sees it not just as some like spiritual guru God. He sees it as, as someone who's been there. Someone who grew up around it. Someone who grew up watching it. Someone who grew up going to it. But he's also God. When we talk about Jesus, the Bible teaches that, God is, that Jesus is not merely someone who's a lot like God or, or, or close to God or very good at, like, pretending he's God. No, Jesus is God. Titus 2.13 says this, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? After the resurrection, when he presents himself to Thomas, Thomas cried out, My Lord and my God. The book of Hebrews says this, God the Father's direct testimony about Jesus. But of this Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Gospel of John calls him the only begotten God. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? The Bible is, is clear. He was God. He was God. He's not, he's not under God. He's not less than God. And so for most people, it, it's obvious that Jesus will be God forever. We get that. He's, he's God forever. Well, what' the idea that he would also be man forever. He will also be man forever. That this person he he was and became he he possibly still is? He's still man right now. Bible's clear he rose from the dead physically. Right? He ascended into heaven as a man in a physical body. I don't know, would it make sense for him to start going up there and just kind of ditch his body on his on his way up? Like what is Jesus today? Christ continued to being man with a physical body after the ascension. Philippians uh, three twenty one says this. This is about the second coming. Christ will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory. His glory. Paul calls it the body of His glory. Christ returns. He, he will come in serve sort of a, a excuse me in a bodily form. And us and Jesus will continue living together. Corinthians says the resurrected. Resu- Corinthians fifteen says the resurrected body cannot die. Second Corinthians 2.5 says this is eternal. So Jesus became man and he became fully man, became part of him as he's fully God. And why? Well, Hebrews says this, he had to be like, made like his brothers in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. So Jesus relates to us, not from a distance, from, but from the present. He still identifies now It's different than if he passed through years ago. Well, he he understood people then, but he's he's been out of this thing for so long now, he doesn't get me. No, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. And so when he comes into this temple, as someone who grew up around it, watching it, observing it, listening there, watching his parents go there, his parents went there, and Luke 2 talks about this, to present Jesus at the temple. They had to have a sacrifice. Joseph and Mary, his, his mom and stepdad. And the sacrifice they made for him was the, was the cheapest sacrifice you can buy. Two, two pigeons or two turtle doves. They were poor. So Jesus would grow up going to the temple part of a poor family. Understanding what it looked like to have the pressure of needing to get Oh, I wish I can get the lamb, but I can't afford it. Man, the doves be great. I can't even afford the doves. Watching his parents back and forth, changing out money, having to buy the cheapest of the cheap just to get by. And what would that feel like? What would that feel like? And maybe that had something to do with the scandal of marriage that Jesus was born out of, that maybe it was hard for them. Maybe it was just because life's hard. It's likely Joseph died when Jesus was still young. So he's the oldest brother, right? He had siblings. He had a bunch of siblings as far as we know. He was the oldest brother of a single mom who very likely took over his dad's job and had to work. Think about that Jesus. Think about that Jesus. Think about that, Jesus, and who he could relate to. Can we appreciate that? And I don't believe Jesus is in any hurry to drop that story. It's, it's, it's part of his story. He has a story like that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah my parents had it rough. It's kind of weird the way my parents met. <laughs> we didn't have much money. I had a bunch of younger brothers. My dad died. I had to help kind of provide, look after my mom. I remember going to church and we couldn't even really afford it. Think about that, Jesus. Think about that, Jesus. And He's resurrected. He, he, he dies, and He's resurrected into this new glory, right? This new body. We talked about it last week, but one of the things that we can point to when people don't recognize Jesus after His resurrection, there might be something a little different there. Right? He's in His glorified body. It was enough that, oh yeah, there he is, but it was a little bit different. He's in his new glorified body. But what did he still have? His scars, his scars. Well, Thomas, like, hey, where's your scar? He still has his scars. And I wonder, if he still have those scars? Think about it, when we meet Jesus again someday and we've been resurrected and we're in our glorified bodies and we're without pain and blemish and there's no sorrow. And yet Jesus, man, he still bears the marks of his sorrow for us, for us. And that's going to be a moment. That's going to be a moment. And he didn't drop the scars. He kept the scars. He kept the scars. Whenever worship team come up, we'll start to close out. And so this Jesus, God and man, passionate with love, He saw the one place on earth that was supposed to be different. In a world full of oppression and corruption and and manipulation, this place was supposed to be different. My father's house was supposed to be different. And so the one place on earth that was supposed to be different is now part of the problem. And he wasn't cool with it. And he wasn't cool with it. And after he cleared it out, John includes this guy making the whip out of cords and just going ham, and all the animals and people clearing this thing out. What? The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Those who could not come in before. He's like, no, and you you come in now. You come here now. That's who I want in the temple. And I'm gonna heal you. And I'm gonna heal you. You maybe not thought you were good enough for it. You didn't have enough money for it. That's done now. Now you come to me. Now you come to me. And his humanity, Jesus' humanity enables him to fully sympathize with us and identify with us but it's his divinity that enables him to save us and this is our jesus this is my jesus and i'm still getting to know him but i love him and it drives me toward a deeper understanding of my lord and my god so god we thank you for who you are we thank you for your story We thank you that you sympathize with us, that you understand us, Lord, that you got in the trenches with us. We Lord, we thank you that you are you are glorified, that you are Lord, and that you also save us. Lord, you not only offer salvation, you are salvation. Lord, inspire us. Inspire us, Lord, inspire us, Lord, into a deeper relationship and a closer following. Love you. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move as we close out.